Hello, folks. Welcome back to another episode of All About Reality. It's been a hot minute. My co-host, Luke, Luke Patrick, is questionable with, with an injured voice right now. Um, just a little too much, like, you know, te teaching, educated, educating young minds of, you know, um, in the Washington, D.C. area and, and probably like yelling at soccer officials during his daughter's matches as well. But, um, you know, all nice things but like get the juice boxes. But um, anyways, we're, we're back with another episode of All About Reality. We're going to preserve Luke's voice a little bit. Um, first off, just wanted to say before we welcome our, our esteemed guests, who I'm very excited to introduce. Um, I just, this is our first podcast episode since um, the news of Mike Taglier's passing. And Mike is a friend of the podcast of All About Reality came on. We had a really good conversation about the, the difference between being an analyst and a fan and, and the convergence of that. And, and Mike was always very forthcoming and, and welcoming in, in the community and especially to us. I, I participated in a Yahoo League with him and he was great to interact with. And so deepest condolences to you know Mike's family his wife Tabby and his two children and it's amazing what the community has done to rally behind behind Mike and I think we'll always remember his contributions to space his relentlessness and just ever just being a great human being so I, I think on uh, our guest basically said I think most fitting Mike was among the best of us who will be sorely missed and, and I definitely think that's, you know, certainly appropriate. Luke, do you have any, anything you want to say on that front before we, we introduce our guest? I would echo that, say amen. And I am grateful both for the graciousness with, with which Tabby has treated the community and let everyone uh, grieve with her. And uh, that, that takes a great deal of courage and a great deal of, of just earnest candor from a, a person that, um, that not many of us know. Uh, and Yes, Mike will be missed, and I hope all of us can take some time and contribute to his family and, and to do what we can from our own leagues and our own playing to both uh, exhibit that we're a fan of him and his work. So thank you for that, Goody. You're welcome. I guess on, on a little more upbeat note, I'm prepared to introduce our guest who, who has vast experience. Um, I would say, you know, first off with NFL teamwork on the salary cap side, um, Sunday Morning Quarterbacks um, podcast, also uh, on the podcast with Matt Kelly for Roto Underworld. He, like me, a fellow Miami University of Ohio, if you want to add that, alum. He's, a, he's actually rocking the shirt today. A fellow Ohio State Buckeyes fan, um, it, you know, hailing to us right now from the Midwest. Um, it is the, the one and only Anand Nanduri. Anand, nice, nice to have you. Welcome. Welcome. I mean, thanks for welcoming me, Matt and Luke, and thanks for the gracious introduction. Um, you know, it's great to be on with you guys. I'm learning so much just from the stuff that you guys do. Um, and and obviously, you know, going into talking about tags, um, I never met him personally, but every single person that I know that's been in this industry for a few years or longer has something beautiful to say about him. And this long before his passing, the only things that I ever heard about him is he's incredible. He's the best at what he does. No one works harder. And, you know, on a tragic note, what a loss for us. But, you know, I hope that everybody can take a piece of what he brought to this community with us as we go on and, and try to we can never re possibly replace him. But 
as we try to carry on the great things that he did in this space in terms of mentoring young people and in terms of doing things the right way. So um, he'll be sorely missed, like we said earlier, but, you know, excited to get into it because that's what probably what Tags would have wanted us to do is keep on keeping on. So let's get into it, man. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and then we're, we'll, we'll jump right in. I um, The podcast is brought to you by our sponsors, Breaking Tea for the hottest um, wearable moments, breakingtea.com. Use the code Wendell15 and get, get some fancy swag like that QB1 Justin Fields shirt. We'll be talking about him in a little bit. Your Bears. Oh, guy. yeah. Um, get, you know, the the Baker shirts, the some of the Brown stuff. I, I'm actually going to the Browns um chargers game in los angeles this weekend checking out sofi stadium um rocking my nick chubb jersey so excited about that couple three and one teams um but let's let's first talk about the salary cap that's really you know we're exciting time in reality sports online leagues it's week five which means extension offers are abound and and we'll kind of pepper that into our conversation but First off, let's talk about your experience, you know, with the NFL and and reviewing salary cap, the implicate the implications of you know those contracts in real life. So not everybody, you know, is familiar with the quote unquote, I guess, the process of um, what to look for when you're evaluating deals. So I, I'm very, we're very curious what your perspective is on that, um, the the elements of when so and so gets you know an extension or or something else, what, what that, what that looks like and all the implications of it. So I think when you look at it, right, I think the easiest way to understand it is the salary cap is essentially an accounting tool and its function is to do two things. There's a salary floor. Um, and then there's a salary cap, right? So essentially the idea is that your team is going to operate within a four-year window within the bottom and the top of this. And the idea via the NFLPA was that, hey, we want this floor established so that nobody can be the Pittsburgh Pirates of the NFL. You can't operate an NFL franchise like a business that is purely existing to make money. You have to pay your players, right? And the cap exists so that there's parity. It exists so that, you know, if you want to spend more than you have, you really can't. But kind of the way that, that, that cap has been enforced is you can push money out into the future and into the future and into the future. Right. And eventually that bill comes due. And the best example of that is going to be the new Orleans saints and what Mickey Loomis, their GM does with contracts. Right. And every year it seems like people were asking where is New Orleans finding all of this money? Well, there's always money in the future, right? In theory until 2020, which obviously was a weird year for every industry. The cap in theory is going to go up about seven to eight percent a year just based on league revenues. So the cap is set as a split of league revenue share that's owed to the players based on TV money, based on money from 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 stadium revenue, all of these things. There are all these we call them buckets that the revenue comes in from. Right. So when you sign a big TV deal, the big questions that the NFLPA has is how quickly can you get this money into the salary cap so that my guys can earn said money? And so for the most part, teams operate on the estimate that seven to seven and a half, eight percent, if you're being a little bit on the riskier side, is what the cap is going to jump every single year. And when you get to a year like last year, right, we'll talk about that in a second. Throw that out just for a quick second. But the idea is if you push money into the future, future money 
in theory, costs us less than money right now. Because in essence, $20 million a right. $20 million of next year's cap is a lower percentage of $20 million of this year's cap. So if you can push it out and keep your team competitive, that's the way a lot of these teams that have older quarterbacks that are making a lot of money, that have to sign draft picks, that have to extend guys, that have to restructure all the time, that's what they're doing. Essentially, an NFL contract is really two things. You have the what we call the reported contract, which you know uh, for Mahomes was something like, what was it? Seven or eight years and like something like 400 something million, whatever, whatever ridiculous number it was that, that typically most, most of the time you have some portion of their prior deal that already exists, whether that's a franchise tag, their last year, their deal, whatever it is. Typically you don't get to true free agency and then an extension that doesn't really happen. That's typically done as a new contract. So when you look at an extension or restructure or any of those things, typically what you're going to hear is, oh, this player made a lot of money. So let's say that somebody got like they they went on on a, a four year, $40 million deal. That's their, you know, that's the extent of it, whatever. Let's say they got $20 million as a signing bonus, duet signing, right? So essentially that player made $20 million in year one. And then for year two, three, four, five, just to make them, or sorry, to make the math easy, they got $20 million up front. And then one, two, three, four, they're owed $5 million a year. That's how you get to that four years, 40 million, right? They owe the salary cap, if that's how they choose to do it, 10 million a year, essentially, over the four years of those of that contract. So in year one, the players paid $25 million and they've paid 10 million to the cap, right? The issue becomes when you get the dead cap hit is if you try to cut the player when you've paid them money that you haven't yet paid to the cap, it's accelerated immediately. That's when you get all of those dead cap hits that people are worried about when you're when they're like, oh, why is this player costing us so much money? It's because you've paid them money that you haven't paid essentially to the accountant, which is the salary cap. When you think about it that way, it's a lot easier to evaluate deals based on this and this alone. The only thing that a player and their agent cares about period are is guaranteed money at signing. And then maybe injury guarantees which is a much deeper version of that. So anytime you hear oh somebody got something such and such guaranteed, well that may be guaranteed in year 3 and year 4 where they may never get to see it. It's one of those things where guaranteed at signing is only the, the only money that's ever really guaranteed. And when you look at deals, whether it's RSO or in real life, that's really the only thing that the player and the agent and to an extent the team care about. And so realistically, that's the only thing that you should care about. That's their, in theory, financial commitment to the player over said term. And if you break it down, right? So if somebody's owed... 60 million at signing and they signed a hundred million dollar deal, you know that they have to keep them for three and three and change. Essentially, if you break it out that way, it just makes it easier to understand, okay, so-and-so got a five-year deal, but really it's a two-year deal. And at the end of two years, they're out of it. So quick, quick follow-on question to that scenario with the player with the four years and 40 million say is just a, just like an example. Yeah. Let's call let's call that player Jamison Crowder because that's what it sounds like. No. Um, yeah. Anyways, like that player has the guaranteed money. If two years in that that player is a complete bust, and 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 the team wants to get rid of them, yes, there may be a, a dead cap or no dead cap depending on like how the deal is yeah. structured. Yeah. In but our scenario, that is, that's about ten million. 
Right, but is that play so? But that player isn't necessarily over the life. Like, they, does the team owe that player forty million dollars, anyways, or only the guaranteed piece plus the years? Only the played? Only the guaranteed money plus the years they've played. So okay. when the dead cap hit comes in is when you've already paid a player. Now essentially, you're paying the cap to not have this player on your roster. That's really all a dead cap hit is. Is you've already paid this player this money. And now for the accounting's sake, you have to figure out how you're going to pay, quote unquote, the cap back this money that you've already given the player, but took as a discount on the cap early on in their contract. So that's really all it is. It's just just functionally, it's an accounting tool. And there are a lot of ways to manipulate it. Right. And so like if you're in the accounting or finance world, like in corporate America, you're you're basically calling that like some type of obligation or like deferred revenue. Yeah, type. yeah exactly. For, exactly. For that purpose. But I'm not going to like confuse Luke any more than that as a, as a theology professor <laughs> in his day job. But I've literally, ahead, uh, yeah, I've just avoided money my entire life. So I don't have to worry about any of those things along the way. <laughs> uh, um, nonetheless, I, Anand, what you said makes a lot of sense for RSO GMs because the dreaded acceleration against the cap is something that's mimicked by the site if you try to cut a player with future years remaining on the deal that accelerates to the, the current year that you're on and, and every GM has had to make decisions like that. And one thing that you said, just from a strategy piece that we kind of um, asked of our listeners this year, Goody and I, is we said this year would be the year to sort of borrow against the future cap with big deals Um Precisely yep. because we anticipate the cap going up so much more. So we yep. said, we said, come with a heavy hand at the auctions at the beginning of the year uh, this year, because it's not going to be as painful relative to the percentage of your cap in future years as you, as you pay the yeah. this year is, is, was the advice that we were giving as we came into the season. Um, and it, for the most part, I think that's borne itself out. Like it, it made a lot more sense this particular season to pay up for the big ticket players than try to hit those middle tier ones like Mike Davis or, or, um, or yeah. Miles Gaskin, right? Like they haven't played yeah. as you anticipated. So. Right. And I think, I think one of the things that, that you've got to think about when you're doing stuff like that, right. Is you've got the big TV money spike coming probably in 2023, maybe 2024. It just kind of depends on when that happens. Right. And so when you kind of know that that's coming and you anticipate it, like an NFL general manager is Right. I think that that the risk that you're taking now isn't nearly as big a risk as you're going to have to take in 2023 and 2024, where now you're spending, even though the, the money doesn't look drastically different, the percentage that you're spending is going to be more, right? E- even given that, just to retain some of your guys, forget about bringing in anybody new. When you extend players, I'm assuming that it's more expensive than than a rookie contract, and you've got to consider that as well when you're looking at, oh, when do I want to re-sign somebody and when do I want to extend them? So it's a twofold problem. When do I get rid of somebody and when do I bring someone in are, are both really good scenarios. Actually, right now is kind of the perfect time to kind of learn how it works both on the RSO side of things and in the real life side of things. Yeah, to that end, Goody posited a really good question for us to consider. You, We wanted to ask you about extending real-life running backs. It's always been a, a point of contention for us. We both love Nick Chubb. 
I have a, an affinity for Dalvin Cook. And these are players yeah. that got paid like real players. They got paid for their talent in the NFL. So, you, all right, so let's talk about that for a moment. Is that, um, are you on this whole running backs are replaceable bandwagon that seems to be uh, the coin of our land as quote unquote fantasy analysts? Right. And I think that, you know, when people hear about analytics, their first thought is, oh, these guys are all about the numbers. They don't watch anything. They don't, you know, they're, they're too focused on the numbers and not enough about the real life. Dalvin and, and Nick Chubb are in that tier of guy with, I think, Christian McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara, the other two that I'd put in there, where I think we swung a little bit too far on the running blacks are replaceable by anybody. Um, bandwagon i think it's clear that that those four are elite weapons not just running backs but elite weapons they're engines that make their offenses go um those two contracts look big when you look at them on paper but when you kind of dig into them and look at the guaranteed money they're both really two-year deals essentially which you know obviously the agent and the player are very happy because they didn't essentially sell out their market as a running back um for all the other running backs that are coming behind them, expecting them to set the set the mark for which all future running backs are going to be paid. But at the same time, they're also understanding, hey, at 27, 28, there's just not a lot of tread left on the tires unless you're a generational future Hall of Famer, Frank Gore, Adrian Peterson type guy, which there just aren't a lot of, right? Like we would love for every running back, we would love for Todd Gurley to have been healthy and been worth every dollar that the Rams tried to give him. Right. It's just sometimes it doesn't work out that way. And the really sad part about it is there aren't a whole lot of guys that do more for their team and are less rewarded than running backs. I mean, they're the only players other than O and D linemen that, you know, pretty much every player pretty much going to get hit by somebody. And the, the, the really sad realization that that all the blocking that they do, all the route running that they do, all the rushing that they do is replaceable sucks. Right. Like like. It's not easy to understand that in Jacksonville, James Robinson as an undrafted free agent is probably better as a running back for your team than Travis Etienne. And that's just purely that has nothing to do with where you were drafted. That has nothing to do with how much capital was invested in you. He's just better at this point for them than anybody else's. And when you look at stuff like that, right, when you look at like if you look around the league at quarterbacks. They're mostly high draft picks. I mean, there's an occasional guy here or there. And then you get to running backs, right? And you've got Dalvin Cook, second round pick. Nick Chubb, second round pick. Alvin Kamara, third or fourth round pick, I believe. I can't remember exactly. And then Christian McCaffrey, who's obviously the outlier, right? You can't draft guys like that. But then when, when you have somebody that's such a functional identity of how you operate, right? Dalvin Cook is so much a part of what they do. Nick Chubb is so much a part of what they do that I'm not opposed to paying them. I think that both front offices went about it just about the best way that you can in the sense that they paid them, but they didn't give them everything. And they paid them according to what they're probably worth. Like they didn't overpay them. And they also didn't, didn't essentially try to get take get them to take too much of a discount which i appreciate um i I just i think the days of spending 20 million dollars on a running back are gone um until the cap rises to the point where you know equivocally that makes sense um 
I just, I, I don't think that you can do it anymore. Maybe in 2024, 2025, we might approach that number again if you find another really special back. But for those two, I think that they did really well given the parameters of what they were operating within. I think both front offices, both head coaches, both running backs are really happy with their situations that they ended up in. Excellent. Yeah, I think you hit on like what the identity of those teams offenses are. And then in, in, the, in the case of a guy like McCaffrey, like what he brings as a, as a receiver, basically as an, as an elite yeah. receiver that, you know, yeah. of course, he doesn't necessarily play on the edge, but for sure. So I guess another question, like in the kind of bridging reality sports online with like the real life NFL and, and the NFL draft and everything else is, so like reality sports online, just like an NFL GM is trying to figure out like which skill position players like to give long-term contracts to like with allotments, basically, you know, and with all the offense, with offensive coordinator changes, coaching changes, offensive line play, if the quarterback's there, like if the quarterback ability, if the receiver's there, like how quickly a team can move on from them. So like, you know, the one question I think that you already answered is what should they be lo- like? What should a team be look like? What should somebody for an RSO player be looking for when their favorite star player signs on a deal like a like front, you know, free agent deal or whatnot, like or an extension on spot track over the cap? I think that you said like to recap, that's guaranteed money. But like yeah. flipping, flipping this and flipping and and that's the biggest piece of any of it because the rest like can be manipulated, like you said with like Mahomes's deal. But like it, you know, if if you're if you're GM of an NFL team or whatever, like how how are you approaching the draft? Like what are like build, building blocks? Like if you were starting an NFL team from scratch and you had to like basically build something that would be sustainably competitive for you know the longest window, so to speak, given what you know about you know how the salary cap works, how how would you be approaching? like positions and like how you'd be obviously running back has depreciated value, but like how would yeah. you be approaching everything else? So I think that the first question that you've got to answer in order to answer your question is to, to understand fundamentally what the job of a general manager is, right? And their responsibility is to take all of these inputs. You've got ownership, you've got the fans, you've got the local media, you've got national media, you've got all of these inputs, their neighbors, their friends, the buddies that they played football with in high school and college. You've got all of these inputs, right? That are constantly telling you, oh, you should do this. Or what if you do that? Or how should we do this? Right. And you've got a million different inputs and your job is to take all of that in analyze all of that and be the sole output for an entire franchise. And that's really, really hard, right? Like it's very hard to be good at that all the time. And I think we're very difficult on these people who we don't understand a lot of what's going on in their lives. And I'm not just saying this because it's easier for me and and it's a cop-out. I'm just saying, imagine living your daily life the way that you live life. But now you've got essentially millions of dollars in front of you and someone is telling you, hey, you're responsible for everybody in this building. That is a billion dollar enterprise. Essentially, you are hiring someone to be the CEO of an entire enterprise and seeing where it goes. And so once you kind of boil it down to all of that, you can only really give a GM credit or blame based on what they knew at the time. 
Um, the example that I like to give out is everybody wants to dog on Ryan Pace for taking Trubisky over Mahomes. And to me, that that that's negligent as a fan. You're ignoring what, what we knew and what we didn't. We didn't know Mahomes was going to be this or he would have been taken number one overall. The issue there is not that they took Trubisky over Mahomes. It's that they took Trubisky over Watson, right? So you, at least you prioritized the right position there. You had the right thought process. You just drafted the wrong guy. Based on all of the evidence that we had at Clemson, he beat, he damn near beat Bama twice. Like All the off-field stuff aside, Deshaun Watson should have been the pick at number two if you're the Bears just because he's the guy you needed, right? And I think... Once you go from there, right, the easiest way to go down the line is you need a quarterback first. That's priority number one. Quarterback's always going to be the most valuable, followed by edge rusher, then tackle, then wide receiver and DB, typically corner. But if you have like a guy like a Derwin James or Jalen Ramsey that you can kind of move all over the place, I'd throw him in there too. Interior line, safety, and then everybody else. Because you can kind of build around those foundational pieces as they go down. And obviously a lot of them go together, right? So you want an edge rusher. Well, then you want to tackle to deal with the edge rusher. You want a receiver. Then you want a corner to deal with other people's receiver. You want an interior lineman. Then you want a defensive tackle. You want a safety, you know, and, and so on and so forth. And so I think that once you kind of look at positional value, which obviously needs to be a paramount importance, occasionally there are just guys that are freaks, right? Like Quentin Nelson plays a position that isn't ultra valuable, but my God, was he just so much better than anybody else you could have gotten at that spot. You draft those guys. So there is a balance between we have a need. We think this is the most valuable player. We think this is the most valuable position. And trying to find a marriage between all of those and also understanding, hey, if we're at pick number six and there are three really good quarterbacks here and we've got a quarterback needy team, sometimes you've just got to move back, right? And and so... Their job functionally is to understand at all times what is my draft selection worth and what's the best utility of that capital. I think it's really helpful to us to hear it framed that way on them. And it's worth me asking the two of you in your own strategy as you play the game in the fantasy realm, do you also tier things positionally in terms of the investment of your draft capital? Um, Certainly in RSO, we have to be more elaborate as GMs in terms of the amount of the cap that we do it. So in your perfect world, I thought about it as you were saying that out loud. I thought as a fantasy GM in my perfect team construction, even in Superflex, I allot the most of my capital to the running back position, even for flex spots, which is kind of, I think, swimming against the current a little bit at this day and age. And then I go quarterback then wide receiver, then tight end. And I realized I would actually like to hear for you two how you would go about building it if everything plays out the way you want it to in the draft. That's how my kind of draft capital is being spent. Uh, so Anand or Goody, uh, either of you feel confident that you could tier those traditional positions in order as you head into the fantasy one realm. What do you think? Goody, I mean, go for I it. No, oh, you want me to go first? Okay. Yeah, go for it. Is it sure? Like from the RSO lens, I I'm I, I think there's kind of a couple of things. I, I trust my ability to grab wide receiver value, like in redraft and dynasty and anything. 
I, I, I like one flagship guy, especially if I'm starting off a league that I'm confident in that's proven and has a track record. So, you know, that, that's something that, that I wouldn't mind building around, but I'm really hammering what the scoring system is too. Like, and then, and in a lot of leagues I'm in, that's, that's a very dynamic Scott Fishbowl, like quarterback, yeah. accurate quarterback accuracy type scoring system. So like, I, I know the value of running quarterbacks. You find a running back who is, who is an accurate passer and could throw for 300 yards and run for a bunch of yards, like a Kyler Murray, that, that is like, you know, the Quan basically of, uh, yeah. of, of, I think like what my RSO strategy would be. And, and, and of course, like running backs with scarcity, like I, I have to have like one of the, one of the top 10 in a tier. I think if I, if I'm, if I'm in a startup and then I, I think tight end, I'm just grabbing a guy that I'm higher than most, but like I, I, Luke, where you and I differ, I think is I, I, I'm viewing a quarterback kind of as an anchor of my franchise in, in reality sports online and, and trying to go against the current as much as I can with the late round quarterback thing. If there is a guy that I think is kind of the Quentin Nelson of the quarterback position in this. And, and I know there's a handful of those, you know, at times, but if I can like basically hit that marginal cost equals marginal revenue curve with, with at the position, then that that's that's my sweet spot and and then everything kind of i would say fl- flows from there but like i'm i'm grabbing a hybrid of receivers of of guys who are like you know flyer darnell mooney like mike williams types this year is, is a lot of the like those type of guys and, and with like an anchor receiver at that position and then you know I, i'm not trying I, i'm not putting too much I'm kind of spreading out how I'm doing it, I think. And and if I could stack the quarterback and receiver, you know, all the better too, but I'm not necessarily looking to do that. Luke, I think that the best way to, to answer that is I think everybody's got to establish their own tiers within every position. Right. And every year there's a huge argument on Twitter and on Instagram and God knows what regular shows on TV about, who the quarterback one is, who the wide receiver one is, who the running back one is. Well, until we had McCaffrey, that's kind of a given now. Um, And then obviously the tight end one is typically Kelsey as as long as he's healthy. I think that one of the things that I've kind of tried to figure out over time is how late can I get my second running back and still feel good about it? So typically, I mean, obviously, historically, people that have played this a long time, they know you, you know, your traditional start used to be running back, running back because they were so robust and they got so many opportunities. And then obviously with the advent of PPR, half PPR and, and kind of the evolution of scoring in fantasy football, they've become less and less reliable at the top of round two and round three. And so I think that my thing is still if I can get one of those top five or six guys, you know, kind of ending at that like Aaron Jones area where, you know, he's the guy, there's not really going to be competition, whatever. That's probably where I'm looking at in round one round two. I want a receiver. Like Goody said, I want an alpha. I want somebody that I know is going to be a target hog round three and four. I'm looking to probably double up on running back and receiver somewhere in there, probably taking one that's a little bit safer and one that's a little bit more of a high upside guy. 
And then in round five and six, if you feel really good about a tight end breakout or if you feel really good about a quarterback, then I think that's kind of where you explore that. So for me, it's not so much about the the positional value in terms of one, two, three, four, five. It's pretty much about how the draft falls to you and where in those tiers you think you can get your guys, essentially the guy within each of your tiers that you would ideally want. I appreciate both of you guys coming at that. I still am going to hold fast. I'm convinced in a platform like RSO, I, I just, I'm convinced when you have access to more than one of those guys, like McCaffrey and Chubb and Cook and all the guys. That you yeah. Like, yeah. 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 I want to tilt the playing field right off the bat and just say, all right, yeah. come, like I will make do at other positions and I'm going to play with these big boys like every day. Right. Cause it, cause the thing is, Luke, you're right. And, and Goody touched on this too for a little bit. I think one of the things is we're starting to see wide receiver depth become a big thing. Wide receiver has become far more available, like usable guys into the wide receiver three and four range, whereas running back has dried up. So if you think about it that way, if you think about it kind of like the bully tight end strategy where you take Kelsey and Waller, but instead of doing it with tight end, you do it with a running back. I think as that pool of guys that you really, really believe in grows more and more and more shallow, it can work that way. Right. And, and I mean, I'm actually interested to see if you actually did that. I'm interested to see how that works out. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it plays out for sure. But I, 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 frankly, I admire people that are able to pull off um, better analysis with respect to which wide receivers are going to emerge I just think as part of the fun of playing the game, it is also fun. And as another nod to tags, when he came on, we talked about this. It, part of it is just, it's more fun for me to play the game and spend the money up front on shorter contracts, knowing that that money is going to be free in two or three years on my cap to go play again, to be the bully at the auction again, two or three years from then and, and have that money in hand. It just makes the game more fun in the format that we're playing with. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, Luke, like it happens all the time in real life. I mean, you saw it happen with New England in the offseason this year, a team that historically doesn't spend big in the offseason, realized that nobody else had the money to spend in the offseason. And they just went bananas getting any weapon that they possibly could and just filling out their roster in a way that you never see. And that's, you know, whether you're, you're talking about fantasy or real life. That's what good people do is they identify areas where other people can attack and they do it anyway. Right. And, and I think that that's such an exercise in exactly what you're talking about as running back kind of dries up, or in this case, as Belichick kind of realized, Hey, people were wildly overpaying for pass catchers in terms of wide receivers. Let's go get the two best tight ends that are out there that, that, you know, might be as valuable to our offense as a receiver and pay them, you know, 60% of what we'd have had to pay someone else. So there are those kinds of things too. And I think that that's a really interesting dynamic based on what I've understood about RSO. Just didn't hear you. So like the league life cycle, like if, if like, you know, sure, Belichick had all that money to spend, but like, you know, do you want to be spending it on Johnny Smith or do you want to be waiting a year and spending it on Devontae Adams? Like, you know, yeah. like, so, yeah. it, so it, 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 I, I think that that's very important, at least in the RSO dynamic. And I I'm going to challenge my co-hosts for like in one of his leagues, 
not this year, but next year. I want I want him to have an elite quarterback on his roster and just like have the security of knowing like each week that he's <laughs> he's got especially in Superflex, he's got that dude and like he doesn't have to worry about it. He just knows that that guy's gonna print like touchdowns and whatever. But um, speaking of quarterbacks, though, I, there's a question as a, as a Browns fan, I really, really want your perspective on. on and, sure thing. And, and so if you're Andrew Barry of the Browns and, and like I, I was in Cleveland for a very quick day on my way back from seeing Luke in D.C. and heading to my wife's family in Michigan. And, you know, that was the day Josh Allen got his extension in Buffalo. So the Cleveland Sports Radio, which I was listening to on my drive on the Pennsylvania Turnpike and when I got in range talk about well what do we give what do we give baker how much you know do you think he needs are we giving him money why and like i know brown's twitter is like up in arms after this game against the vikings where he was you know probably one of his worst games you know with this with the talents and coaching he he has you know like in the stefanski era this was probably his worst his worst game i would say and yeah so like just like what what are you know i i think that you know, Baker is kind of the Browns in a way from a personality perspective and is the city's yep. quarterback, whether people like him or not. Um, but it's just like you want to kind of find that happy medium. So, like, what, what, what do you th- what do you think the like Andrew Barry is going to do about Baker and and, you know, like based on where this team is talent wise and everything else? So I think the, the, the there's a blessing and a curse to what happened with Allen, what happened with Watson, what happened with Mahomes, and kind of what happened with Baker Mayfield last year, right? So I think the question is, is Baker Mayfield your franchise quarterback has been answered over and over again last year? Yes. Nobody's denying that. You can't really replace him with anybody. I think the city of Cleveland can tell you just about more than any other franchise just how damn hard it is to find one to begin with. Right. Uh, I mean, finding a guy like that is tough. Uh, They went through so many till they got to him. He turned the franchise around. You can argue that it was the defense. You can argue that it was the weapons, the run game, the offensive coordinating, the head coach, whoever it was. You can argue a million things. But at the end of the day, that guy is the engine that makes that city feel good about their Cleveland Browns, right? Suddenly Baker's replaced by Case Keenum, even if he plays better than Baker has, which isn't a high bar this early in the season. The, this, the city doesn't feel the same. It doesn't feel the same, right? And I think that the, a lot of what happens with this contract depends on how he plays this year. There's obviously not a reason to let him walk. I, I mean, he's not going to play for anybody else. He's going to be the Browns quarterback. If I were A.B., I would be trying here to guarantee as much money as I can. Like, you know, there, there's a happy medium there where you guarantee more of his contract because durability hasn't been an issue for him. And he hasn't really had sustained long periods of being bad under Stefanski. He has some bad games, just like every quarterback has some bad games. Aaron Rodgers week one had one of the worst games I've ever seen. And he's a first ballot Hall of Famer and maybe the most talented quarterback not named Mahomes we've ever seen. So, I mean, there are are quarterbacks that are going to have tough stretches, tough games, whatever. Um, It doesn't seem to bother him, which is good. He doesn't seem to get down and kind of shut down and be unwilling to make throws, which I love. That's one of the things I love about him is that kid will keep firing until you say the word die. Um, I think he cares about winning enough that he kind of understands what his value is going to be. 
I think that that you start with something in kind of that Dak Prescott range, and then you adjust it right as you go. Every game that he plays well, it goes up a little bit. Every game that he doesn't play so well, it goes down a little bit. And I think that if you're Andrew Barry, you try to bring that average annual value down to 35, 40 million um, and, and just guarantee a little bit more of it because he's he hasn't showed you that he doesn't deserve more guaranteed money. I personally would be more of a fan of making it so that you guarantee about two and a half years of the deal, essentially half of the money that you would want to give him. Just go ahead and guarantee that up front. And, you know. I think that he's going to prove to people later in the year as they get Odell back fully healthy, as they get Landry back, as the offense looks like it should have. Because, I mean, people are forgetting there was an $18 million hole. I think it was $18 million, $18 million hole in their roster last year in terms of Odell Beckham Jr. that, you know, they didn't get value out of by by signing someone else. It was just, you know, you were operating down essentially $20 million of your cap and Odell Beckham Jr., for all the, the maligned issues with, oh, they can't get on the right page, he's a dynamic game-breaking receiver when he's out there. I still believe that 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 he's still got really good football in him. Um, I think the cap going up is going to help them also in terms of this deal because th- the earlier that you do a deal like this, the better a discount you're going to get. It was clear that Cleveland wanted to see one more year from him. So, I mean, if he goes and blows people out for the next 12, 13 weeks, they get to an AFC championship game or maybe even a Super Bowl, that number is going to go way up from what they could have paid last offseason. And that's just the risk that they took saying, hey, we just want to be 1000% sure that this is our guy. Um, I think, I don't think I would approach it any differently than he did. I wasn't an advocate of paying him last off season. I think to this point, he's kind of proved our, Hey, we love you, but these are our reservations and paying you Josh Allen, Lamar soon to happen. And then Pat Mahomes kind of money. That's kind of the, the, that was really the question is, does he deserve to be in that tier? Or is he going to be like half a tier below that? And right now I think he's half a tier to a full tier below that where he's going to get really, really good money. It's just not going to be the holy shit. Look at this deal money. Goody. Does that sound right to you? Because if I'm Baker's agent sitting across the table, I'm like, gentlemen, we are in Cleveland. This is Cleveland. This is not a franchise that has had success at this position. Like I am literally the best thing. I'm 26 years old and I have outpassed in every significant counting stat, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson in terms of yards and touchdown passes. So if you don't want to value me like those guys, someone else will, because there's not a lot of 26 year old quarterbacks hitting the market. So you can, you can pull a Kirk cousins, just keep franchising me. So I am paid like those guys year to year, or you're going to pay me between like like a $40 million per year salary. What do you think, Goody? Is he going to play hardball like that? Because I think Anand's point's right. If I'm sitting on the Cleveland Browns side, I'm like, okay, listen, buddy, here's what we get, we're we going to do. You you played it well. Yeah, I, Baker, hmm. I don't know. I think, I think that, I think Baker has a different like self-awareness than some other quarterbacks maybe have. He's sure he wants his, but I think he understands that it's tied to winning and, you know, having a high completion percentage like he had at Oklahoma and, and everything else. But I do think that he is 
you know, he's he's a like a walk on who had to win his job every step of the way, Texas Tech, etc. So I he he's going to have the chip on his shoulder and be like, I'm going to get paid, you know, whether the Browns do it or somebody else. So I I, I would potentially expect some hardball, but. I think that he's, he'll also be a realist with like how he's playing. And I think you saw after the Minnesota game, he owned every, you know, every bit of sailing throws and, you know, going, I think 15 of 33 and saying that in order for this team to hit what they need to, that he needs to be better. So I, I, I think it's kind of going to be in the middle of that. And I think he, he understands like the, you know, the history in Cleveland and everything else. And, and, you know, I, I think he'll, he'll bet on himself and he'll do well for himself. It's just, you know, the, the, like the Josh Allen contract is just kind of hanging out there now as a, someone else from his class who, you know, has made the AFC championship, which is, you know, one step above what Baker has thus far. And, you know, and, and, and you know, you could argue that Baker has more, more weapons than, than Allen does. So, you know, it, it, but he also is only a year and, a quarter in with like the first legitimate coach he's had in his NFL tenure. So I, I think that's interesting. And I, I'm curious about that. Um, we're, we're getting towards the end here. So I, I think we'll try to tackle a couple of these other questions I think are interesting soon, bring up a little bit of RSO extension talk and, and then like send everyone on their way tonight, but quickly, like just somebody like talking through a process of a player who, may see some big money this this offseason um is mike williams just he's been used as the x receiver and and you know the new oc's joe lombardi's offense he's playing as fifth year option right now for 15.7 million just before, i think is he just hit his 27th birthday if not i think maybe even this week so if you're chargers general manager tom telesco how, how would you approach bringing mike williams back and, and the flip side if you're mike williams agent what do you what do you think you'd be looking for contractually in free agency and and do, do you think based on like that fifth year option they picked up does this kind of feel like a, a franchise tag situation um, for you Anand? So I think it depends a lot on who else they have to tag right because uh, off the top of my head I can't remember who else is in that class that they would have to consider tagging this year um, but but if he's the only guy there then yeah I, I do think they franchise tag him and then they'll do an extension on top of that um, Tom is probably going to try and sell Mike on his agent that the idea that the the Chargers are kind of in win now mode with Herbert and with Staley and with all of these young defensive pieces that they have. And I, I think they're going to try and sell them on the idea that Mike is an integral part of a championship team, um, which at times has caused guys to take a little bit less. I mean, it's not going to be, you know, market moving difference, but, you know, it, you might get a little bit of a hometown discount. Um, I think you're going to try and get the average annual value down some kind of the, the way that you did on the Baker deal. That's just kind of the trend that we're, we're getting to kind of Kirk cousins kind of set that trend and people saw, Oh, he didn't get hurt. Maybe this is the way to go about doing things. If I'm Mike's agent, give me all of it. I'm asking for five years and close to a hundred million and, and, you know, hoping to land in that five year, $80 million range with something like 40 or $50 million in guaranteed money. Um, and I think that, that that would probably be a reasonable resolution for both sides. He looks to be every bit the receiver that he was slated to be coming out of Clemson. Obviously, Herbert being there has kind of exacerbated whatever value he already had. 
Um, I, I think that that's kind of more than likely going to be a tag situation and then an extension also in the same offseason. So they have them locked in for four or five years. All right. Thank you on that. Real quick, we'll, let's talk about your Bears for a second. You're Justin Fields fan being an Ohio State guy and um, yeah. Ohio State fan. And I mean, I watched the Browns Bears game. We've kind of seen, I mean, hey, this is a happy day with Fields taking over the reins for the rest of the season. Thank um, God, man. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I'm God. not sure what that charade was really it was the Nagy self preservation as a job or, or what. So, like, I, I think what, what are you, what are you thinking about, like whether venting or the unimaginative offense? Like, you know, do you do you agree that Nagy should still have a job? Like, what are you talking about on like fantasy viability of some of the other pieces? Like Allen Robinson's had, you know, like well underperformed, say his ADP or his salary, and if we're talking RSO, um, Darnell Mooney seems to be like a target favorite now, but you know, still has you know hasn't produced like in the end zone. So what, what what are you what are you doing with um, like guys like Allen Robinson and you know if you're paying him twenty five million dollars a year like I think in some leagues he's probably going for yeah so I think the the Browns game I think we can all agree was an abject disaster um, I my personal opinion in the preseason was that his first start would be week four but I didn't think that it would be because of an adult injury my assumption was they want to get him out of playing Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, and they want to get him out of playing uh, Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward so that you can start him off, you know, against the Lions with some kind of confidence. And obviously with the Lions, come, <laughs> they kind of hit the ground running uh, at Soldier Field this past Sunday and, and looked a lot better, you know, than they had just, just a week prior. Um, I think Nagy's kind of living on the reputation of what he built out of Trubisky in 2018. Um, even though a lot of that credit is deserved by Vic Fangio. And don't get me wrong, he did a lot of smoke and mirrors tricks with Mitchell Trubisky, and that offense looked innovative, and it looked a lot like what he had in Kansas City with, with Reed. And, and you know, I, I think that a, a big part of, of all of this um, is moving Bill Lazor, uh, their offensive coordinator, to play caller is a big deal. Uh, I think that was partially naggy kind of understanding that as a head coach, you can't try to do everything. Um, that's why you have assistant coaches. That's why you have coordinators. You can't try to do everything. And I think for a long time, he was trying to do everything. Now I'm still team. If this doesn't get fixed, he's got to go right. Like, like if there isn't significant promise shown by this team, by week nine, 10, 11, he's got to go. And had he not started Justin Fields out of necessity, I mean, if it, if we're here right now and Justin Fields hadn't yet started a game, I would be calling for his job too. Because the thing is, Andy Dalton's going to help you win games that you don't need to win, right? Like right now, you're not going to win the division, obviously. You're probably not going to get a, a playoff spot. So right now, what you're trying to do is figure out one, do I have the right play caller? Two, do I have the right head coach? Three, do I have the right quarterback? And if you're not figuring out any of those things and, and you're kind of running it back with the same thing you did the last three years, I think you're doing not only your fan base, but yourself a disservice, right? Clearly it wasn't working. I think he saw that in the wins and losses. He saw that in people's, you know, kind of how they were looking at things. Um, Mooney, I think, is the guy for Fields. Justin loves him. Obviously, I think his 
short-term potential has gone through the roof. I think his long-term potential has gone through the roof. Um, they just seem to get each other. Uh, Allen Robinson, I would not be overly concerned about. It's not really a, a, the type of receiver that Justin's had um, throughout his career at Ohio State. Uh, it, it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment to understand that Allen Robinson is one of those guys that you just kind of throw it in the general vicinity of, and he finds a way to come down with it uh, more often than not. So I think that that's just a little bit of an adjustment. I wouldn't be freaking out yet. Um, once once they kind of get on the same page, that'll be a really, really good connection because, I mean, logically, they fit together very well. At about like $16 million a year, Allen Robinson's still really good receiver, still worth every dollar, no question. Um, once you get to that like $25 million a year price tag um, on RSO, that's a little too rich for my blood, especially because we haven't seen what the final iteration of this Bears offense with – with Justin and and Darnell Mooney and Allen's going to look like. I think you've got to probably wait six, seven, eight weeks towards the end of this year before I'd be comfortable diving in with that. But as of right now, at 16M, I probably wouldn't be freaking out. Yeah, my greatest love sprung from my greatest hate here. As a, I, I, it's odd for me because I'm really cheering for this kid. I would really like another dynamic konami code quarterback in fantasy football to your point earlier goody this class is the one that i've actually taken some of my time and draft capital to invest in in trevor lawrence and trey lance and justin fields in the hopes that they become that dynamic passer that's leading me every week uh is not played that way so far uh as as we would mention with those rookie yeah it's, a, it's been a rough year for the rooks it's it's yeah. fine they'll get better Yep. generational quarterback class they'll be all right well good stuff i mean you're no rook with us here on we really appreciate what you've been dropping for us tonight it's been awesome and you are welcome back anytime we got to get you so you i know you said you don't invest your time in this way but you got to try playing one of these leagues uh, as someone who's a, a, a cap wizard you got to see what it's like to try to manage it yourself it's good times it's good times uh but but thanks seriously for making time for us tonight enduring my voice sounding like i've been at a springsteen concert with you and just like, like, like hey that'd be a heck of a time too, luke there you go there you <laughs> go but um that's it for me goody uh your velvet tones are gonna take it out with for us tonight with Adam, but i just wanted to chime in there and, and thank him for his time sure yeah of course I mean, luke. Th thanks luke um I, I mean the last question i really had was just about if there's anybody that you're super concerned about or looking to sell, you know, a few weeks in, I mean, we've got guys, AJ Brown coming off surgery in both of his knees and, and being banged up and not really producing CEH seems to have a uptick in rushing usage. Daryl Williams is a factor in the goal line. Calvin Ridley, you know, doesn't seem like he, he's working out as well. Robert Woods, obviously Miles Gaskin, we mentioned. Diggs hasn't really found the end zone, but in a dynamic offense, and you're probably paying him a lot. So, like, is is there anyone else that you're like thinking through? Like, what what's real after four weeks? So, I I think it's it's popular, you know, to panic and sell low. I mean, obviously, your goal as a fantasy football manager and a real life manager is to buy at the low end of things. And so, you know, I, I know it's popular right now to be like, Oh, I'm out on him or I'm out on that guy. I think it's too early in the season, honestly, to be fully, fully out on somebody that you were in on preseason. Like, I don't think four weeks is enough to say, Oh, 
there's no way this person can turn it around. I, I, I think that, that that's a little disingenuous and, and, you know, kind of, um, kind of does damage to your own process. Right. Um, there, there aren't a whole lot of guys I'd be running away from Gaskin and <laughs> Mike Davis, man. Th- those are two guys where if I have them, I'm holding on for dear life if I have to, but if anybody is giving me anything reasonable, like, like anything reasonable, I'm probably selling those two. Um, but as far as, you know, D hop, AJ Brown, Calvin Ridley, Robert Woods Diggs, I think eventually they're all going to get back on track. I mean, they're, they're just too talented and they're too good. And we've seen them all produce before, right? It's not like a rookie where we're like, Oh, you know, new offense. What's this going to look like? All of these guys have produced with the quarterback that they've had before. And so I'm not, none of them concern me. Um, It's mainly just running backs. Like we were talking, like Luke was talking about earlier, running backs in kind of that middling tier where we thought, Oh, the volume can make up for the efficiency. And now they have neither. And, you know, that's where you kind of press the panic button. You're like, Oh, so-and-so didn't get the volume and they're even less efficient than they thought than the inefficient player that I thought they'd be. That's kind of when I'm pulling the ripcord and being like, yo, you know, four or five weeks in, I'm out. Yeah. I've definitely taken some, some pain on miles Gaskin this year. And the, the two carries with three oh, same. yards was, was just same like, man. I, it came out of nowhere to me. It's like, you got a dynamic guy in this offense. Like what, what are you doing? Dolphins? Like obviously Jacoby Brissett's not it, but like, yeah, <laughs> figure out a way to get, you know, use some game breaking speed, like somehow, whether it's what, I don't care if it's Waddle, if it's Gaskin, someone, you know, so figure, like, yeah. figure it out a little bit um yeah so i'm gonna take us home like one last thought just with this being rso extension offer week um i'm just going to mention a couple in some leagues that i i'm in that i like i i think a lot of leagues i'm in a lot of leagues in general are pretty mature in terms of life cycles here for extensions so what these these extensions kind of take into account it's it's platform generated so like positional value like how players performing week to week so even if a guy like a no-name guy like Cordero Patterson's asking, agent is asking for a huge deal, for instance, even if he's a journeyman because he's quote unquote producing, so to speak. So right. I'm just gonna, Makes sense. I'm just going to rattle off five that I've seen in my leagues that I think I like just based on life cycles and, and, and like, cause there's not many that aren't exorbitant. So in a one QB league, I, I think I tweeted this yesterday that my favorite contract is, Lamar Jackson, four years, 24 million total. So I just think that's, you know, well below league average and certain things. Way below, yeah. GM there, I'd I'd be scooping that up for a dynamic running quarterback who, you know, has weapons, especially if Bateman comes back. Um, Cortland Sutton uh, and Jarvis Landry, I saw both on two years, 19 million total contracts. So it kind of seems like in the range, you don't want to give them too much time, but um, two years seems appropriate and then that value. And then, um, the other two I saw, I, I don't like this guy as much because he's injured out for the season, but I think that, that maybe there's greener pastures, at least at this value, if you're, if you're a believer. Only, I'm saying this if you're a believer, because I've lost faith in, this, in, in him completely, but DJ Chark, two years, 13 million. Um, so, like, I think if he leaves, you know, the oppression that Urban created for him and, you know, like, gets out of the Urban sombrero, maybe we'll be in better shape. And then 
Devontae Parker, two years, 13 million. So those were, like I said, I haven't seen a ton in leagues I'm in that I, that I love and I'm like smash accept that, but those are some things I was thinking about. Um, Luke, did you have any, or we, or do I do sign off? That sounds good to me, man. I'm going to yeah. leave it at that tonight. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, well, um, Anand, um, before we sign off, just um, want, if people want to go looking for you in various places and social media anywhere else, where, where can they find you? Where they can, where can they can consume your content? Um, so obviously, Matt, uh, the pod father, and I have the uh, Decision Point, which is a podcast we do, uh, Roto Underworld, which comes out most Fridays. I mean, obviously, during the season, sometimes we get a little bit busy, but most of the time, um, you can find it Friday early morning, um, anywhere you consume Roto Underworld content. Um, I do Sunday morning quarterbacks, which is kind of uh, me and it's supposed to be 31 others, but it kind of depends week to week how many people we can get in there that um, that do betting stuff, right? And so that's a new thing that I'm into that I've kind of brought an, a dynamic angle to that, you know, isn't really my area of expertise, um, but I'm kind of trying to blend the, like, you know, knowledge of how front offices work with week to week stuff, with film study and all of that and kind of bringing a different angle to that. Um, and then Twitter, um, Nanduri NFL, kind of anytime people have random questions or stuff happens um most of the time it's ohio state football related or you know related to a quarterback contract or a gm that did something funny or you know somebody getting hired or fired that my mentions kind of light up but uh, i mean for the most part you know I'm, I'm down to entertain any interesting conversations um i'm not really a start sit guy i mean people have <laughs> have reached out about that I, that's not really what i do but i mean hey i i'll give you my my best two cents and and uh you know we can obviously run from there but i really appreciate you guys having me on i had a great time tonight we did as well it's been a good run goody hopefully i'll be back on the mend hopefully uh on on to the, and whoever comes on in the future won't have to deal with me like running through the hammy strain in my voice here but, but we'll, we'll make it work. it's all good luke you're doing you're doing important work over there the rest of us are just over here talking about football yeah ex- exactly and luke we're, we're hoping to upgrade you to pro- probable on sunday for you know your, your various leagues and you're partaking so thank thank you for that i kind of i feel like today with the nfl like you know, RSO being the real GM experience. I also feel like I was like a coordinator today or the backup quarterback, like relaying plays in with my headset and trying to wave off my daughter who's like trying to get onto the field and in, into this podcast today. So um, that's all good fun. Yeah. So um, with that, you can, you can find, oh yes, here, here she is. Um, anyways, this has been another episode of All About Reality. You can find Luke Patrick at Fantasy Doc. Uh, on Twitter and me at Matt Goody too. Anand, it's been a pleasure. We'll see you on the flip side. Thanks. This has been another episode of All About Reality.